This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. For the past few episodes, as I've talked about the covenants of God, I followed my notes pretty closely. Today I'm going to be a little bit more loose with things. A few things have come to my mind just in the last few minutes, actually, as I've been getting ready to record this. Uh, today I will tell a story about some lessons that God taught me when I made a visit to Amsterdam a few years ago. But a scripture came to mind that I'd like to share with you now. And this has been a fundamental scripture for me and my wife and our life together as a couple and also in relationships that God has brought to me. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, starting in verse 2, Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This scripture has been a great help over the years for me. Somebody, and I don't remember who it was, many, many years ago said that this was a life verse for their marriage. And when Olga and I got married, I presented it also that she and I would focus on this as a foundation stone of our relationship to one another. And of course, Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus, and he's encouraging all of the believers to be completely humble and to be gentle and to be patient and to bear with each other in love. You remember, love is self-sacrifice. There's no greater love than a person lay down their life for their friends. So when we are humble and gentle and patient and bear with our brothers and sisters, we do that selflessly. We consider their needs above our own. And verse 3 says that we should make every effort to keep that unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I think I spoke about this a while ago. Now I've forgotten exactly what I said or when I said it. These verses, the few in the New Testament that tell us to make every effort to do something. And here's one of those times when Paul is saying we should make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit doesn't come naturally. It's not something that just happens and we experience it. We have to fight for it. We have to make an effort for it. And I'm assuming that anyone listening to my voice right now has had enough experience in churches to know that you really have to fight for unity. Now, this is unity of the Spirit, spiritual unity, not fighting for an emotional unity where we just feel good together or enjoy each other's company. It's a spiritual unity, which is different. And sometimes when we fight for spiritual unity, we may not really have emotional unity at may not feel good for a while, but we got to fight for spiritual unity. And it says, through the bond of peace, we have to work for this spiritual unity in a peaceful way, not aggressively contradicting our brothers and sisters, not butting heads, arguing, but coming shoulder to shoulder, knowing that we all are members of the body of Christ, and we're all ultimately moving in the same direction, 
or hope to be at least, then we have to fight for spiritual unity. We have to make every effort. I must make every effort possible for spiritual unity in a peaceful way. And you do as well. Now, the people that we're fighting for unity with may not make every effort. And sometimes that unity collapses. But I do not want to be the one responsible for a failure of spiritual unity. So those of you who are married, those of you who are heading up towards marriage, those of you who want to be married, I encourage you to think about this in application to your relationship with your spouse or your fiancé. Go ahead and lay this down as one of the foundation stones as you prepare to build your marriage up. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The following verse is applicable, of course, to marriage, but certainly to the church as well. Paul says, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Certainly within the bond of marriage, we are one body in the eyes of God. And we have to remember that. When he looks at a marriage, he is looking at one person. And we have to fight hard for that unity. We have to make every effort for that unity We need to see things the way the Lord sees things. If you are feeling distant from your spouse, make every effort for spiritual unity. Do whatever it takes, regardless of what the other person is thinking or doing or feeling. You make every effort. As much as it is up to you, live at peace with all people. Well, I may have more to say about that in the future, but I think that's a good place to stop right now. And like I said, I'm going to tell a little story today. I don't have any notes about it. It's something that happened to me quite a few years ago, and it was a real fundamental experience. Not too long after I had moved to Russia, I was traveling to the United States from Russia, and I had an overnight or two, I can't remember how many nights I spent, in Amsterdam. I had met somebody somewhere who told me about a Christian ministry, a Christian hostel in Amsterdam called the Ebenhauser. I don't know if they're still there. I think they are. And it's a Christian hostel that was located just close to the red light district in Amsterdam. Those of you who don't know about the red light district in Amsterdam, it's where sex workers, prostitution is rampant. So I was visiting some of the believers there at the Ebenhauser, and they walked me through the red light district. I'd never seen anything like that. And they said, since I was a single man, it was better for me to go in a group of three or four. Uh, And it was very wise of them because that place is full of temptations. And it was shocking the way the women were selling themselves, literally standing in plate glass windows, Just like mannequins in a store that advertise clothing, they were advertising their bodies. And the men go through and uh, choose the model that they like. It's really terrible. It is really terrible. It's terrible for the men. It's terrible for the women. 
The women look at the men as a source of money. The men are looking at the women as objects made for their pleasure. And this most intimate of human interactions is reduced to an exchange of money. It's corrosive and terrible. Both the men and the women are looking at the others, not as human beings, but as objects that will provide what they want. Well, after we went through the red light district, my hosts took me to an area where there were some, what they call coffee shops or coffee houses. And those are places that sell drugs openly. It's legal to sell drugs in Amsterdam. Well, I remember outside of one of these coffee houses, there was a park full of young people that were completely stoned out of their minds. They were completely under the influence of these drugs that they had bought in the coffee houses. And that's terrible. It's so corrosive for people to be addicted to drugs and to want to escape that way. God has made human beings to be fully engaged in the world. And Jesus came to give abundant life, a good, rich, full, challenging life. And when people pursue drugs or get addicted to drugs, they're just not the way God has made them to be. They're perishing. They're living a life of dissolution, and God hates it. It's so sad to see people that are not living in the light. They're bound by their addictions, and they're choosing to gratify themselves. It's terrible. It really was terrible. So after witnessing that, we ended up at a little cafe on a public square, And I sat out there with my friends at a table in the sunshine. We were having tea and coffee. And around us, I remember people were riding bicycles by. There was somebody walking a dog. The sun was shining. The birds were singing. It was a beautiful day. And I sat there and I thought, wow, this is very nice. After the red light district and all the drug addiction here, I can just sit and relax and enjoy a little bit of tea with my friends in the sunshine. And then it struck me that everything in Amsterdam that I had experienced was equally ungodly and was focused on self-gratification, on hedonism, seeking pleasure for oneself. Some people seek pleasure in the red light district. Some people seek pleasure in the coffee houses where they can buy drugs. And some people seek pleasure sitting in the sunshine, drinking some tea, walking their dog, riding a bicycle. But it really struck me how everything in Amsterdam was conspiring to go away from God. All of those experiences were equally ungodly. And I was convicted. And as I've thought about it over the years, I realized that there are pleasures that seem innocent, and yet they are ungodly. They do not draw us closer to God. They draw us deeper into ourselves and our desire for happiness and seeking pleasure. The Apostle Paul said, My conscience is clear, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a great statement. We don't even know enough about ourselves to judge ourselves. We may be involved in things that at the time seemed quite innocent and normal and not offensive, and yet God sees the heart. And just because we have a clear conscience doesn't mean that we're innocent. 
many of the sacrifices in the Old Testament were made for sins that were committed inadvertently, unknowingly. So I've thought about this in application to myself. What are the, quote, innocent, unquote, activities that I may be involved in that are actually expressions of my pursuit of self, my pursuit of pleasure and happiness, as opposed to self-denial and death to self, which is, of course, one of the necessary steps for being a disciple of Jesus. Again, I'll remind us of what the Lord said. If any of us want to be one of his disciples, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. We don't take up ourselves. We set ourselves aside. Now, I want to be very clear, too, that I'm not saying that all of life, of course, it's not going to be one of intense suffering and dreary drudgery. No, the Lord loves to give us good things. And he has given me many, many good things over the years. The pathway to receiving those blessings of God is one of self-denial. We may seek pleasure for ourselves and feel good for a while, but that doesn't lead to those eternal blessings of God. And there are times when God will give us gifts of rest and relaxation. For me, I want to live a life in such a way that I would receive those blessings from God. And when I have those times of peace and happiness, pleasure, relaxation, that my response is towards God, a response of gratitude, thanksgiving, an appreciation of what a good dad he is, what a loving father he is to his children. As opposed to, which has happened in my life certainly, and I imagine in yours as well, feeling like we're a little bit overwhelmed by life, wanting to escape for a little bit, go off and have a little bit of, quote, me time. Self-care is a word that comes up quite a bit. So we escape a little bit, enjoy ourselves on our own so that we can go back to being a Christian. And that really isn't the way the kingdom works. God's ways are not our ways. Human beings, especially nowadays, are saying we need to focus on ourselves, we need to love ourselves so that we can love others. And God's ways are just not that way. He says to human beings, the very best way for you to live is to not think about yourself. Think about me. Think about others. Love me. Love others is what God says. The first and greatest commandment is to love God with all that we have and then to love others the way that we love ourselves. And honestly, this term self-care is a direct indication of self-love. If we want ourselves to have some time off, if we want ourselves to be released from the burdens of a hard life, we should focus that energy away from ourselves and onto others. Help them get away from some of the hardships of life. Help them rest and have peace. And if all of God's people did that, then I would be on the receiving end of other people who were loving me in that way instead of loving themselves. It would be an avenue for building community and body life instead of an individualism where people withdraw off into their own areas of self-service 
self-care. Now, I realize I may be stepping on some toes here when I talk about self-care as not being something that's within the line of the will of God. It's just not. He will give us what we need when we need it. We can handle much more than we think we can. Self-care, self-esteem are not the ways to walk with the Lord. I don't think Jesus gives us that option. He says, if you want to walk with me, you have to deny self, not care for self. The best way to receive eternal life and abundant life is self-denial. That's the way God has created things. That's what he tells us. So what did I learn from my time in Amsterdam? I learned that there are many, many different ways for human beings to seek pleasure. Many ways for human beings to seek escape, to get away from the hard realities of life. And some people may choose avenues of hedonism that appear to be innocent and good and pure, but God is looking at the heart. And as he looks at our hearts, he will very often see that we are choosing our own path. We're choosing our own way. We're choosing our own pleasure. I hope that you don't think I'm being condemning because I'm not being condemning. Jesus said he didn't come into the world to condemn people. He came into the world to save people. He came to show them the way because he himself is the way. And there is a way that seems right to a person, but it ends in death. And Jesus came to shine light so that we could really see God's ways. So I'm not condemning you. You and I, we're the same, every one of us. Even if we have a clear conscience, that doesn't mean that we're innocent. God alone is the judge. And it's good that he's the judge because he really loves us. Those who are following him, those who love him and want to grow in him, he will continue to be a good shepherd for those whose hearts are toward him. I hope that what I'm sharing with you will help turn your heart towards him, your spiritual ears toward him. Read the scripture, pray, ask for godly counsel. In all of that, listen for his voice. Listen for that word of God. I spoke about it a while ago. The word of God comes in so many ways. It will never contradict the scripture, and yet there are many ways that God can communicate his living word to us. Let's keep our ears open for him. Let's be very careful when we choose activities in life that we are choosing his ways and not our own ways. Again, there is a way that seems right to people, and yet it leads to death. We shouldn't be fearful because God is giving us his mind. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So we have nothing to fear, but we do need to be diligent. The scriptures say that as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. There's this image of us walking with him, abiding in him. And as we walk with him, as we walk in the light, as we walk in the things that he has revealed to us, then we have fellowship with one another. 
I think this loops all the way back, now that I think about it, to that verse in Ephesians, to make every effort for spiritual unity. I remember years ago, the elder of a church told me, he said, the best thing I can do for my wife, the best thing I can do for my children, the best thing I can do for my church is to love God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. Our relationship with God has to be the priority. And as that relationship with him falls into place, all these other relationships fall into place. The best thing you can do for your coworkers is to love God, listen for his voice, allow him to speak through you to your coworkers, allow his love and his power to flow through you to the people around you. That is the very best thing you can do for people in your life. Is somebody offending you? Love God. Ask God to change your heart, to show you how best to minister to someone who offends you. Is someone your enemy? Is someone trying to destroy you? Bless them. Bless and do not curse. Love God more than yourself. Ourselves are what get in the way of the flow of God's love. Well, I'd like to close a little differently today than I usually do because there's a prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian believers. And I'd like to read that to you now. And this really is my prayer for you. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever your life circumstance is, I pray that out of the Father's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.